Hey there, NFT Curious listener. Today's episode is one of an incredible series we're sharing from our visit to DecentralCon Miami in Art Basel from November 30th through the first week of December 2021. Keep listening for exclusive access to conversations we had with key leaders in NFT, tech, and culture. These sessions cut right from what hot interview to the next without much chatter in between to give you the feeling of being there and listening in on various key conversations. We'll introduce our guests as they enter. Enjoy. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Hi everyone, this is Josh Krieger, co-host of Edge NFT, back at Decentral with another session. Honored to be here today with Izzy Pollock, the head of community at Genies. Izzy, thanks for joining us. Yes, my pleasure, man. Thank you for having me out here. It's so nice to meet you finally. Yeah, yeah. Well, we love to talk about the edge of NFTs on the show, as you would see, seem fitting for our name. And certainly you guys are at the edge. Why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners and talk a little bit about the Genie's adventure? It's more than a project. You have a huge team. Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy. You know, a few uh, years ago, just before the pandemic, we were just six kids above a taco shop trying to figure out what it means to create avatars and build a platform to support. Really good tacos, I hope. Insane tacos. Tacos por favor right off uh, Abbott Kinney. I highly recommend it. All right. That is very close to where I live. And I can say they are really good tacos. See, there we go. That's how you know it's real. But yeah, basically, we're an avatar technology company building a way for everyone to create their own fantastical 3D Pixar animated version of themselves. Why would someone want to do that? Uh, Well, I think there are many reasons. One of the biggest is that we're seeing sort of an end to the way that people express their identity online as far as showing the physical version of themselves. They want better tools to represent how they feel and express that inner identity through a fantastical lens. We've seen this at a rise of AR and VR with lenses on Snapchat. We see it in gaming, people creating fantastical avatars that are stuck in siloed ecosystems. People now are looking for a way to express themselves in a way that they truly own that they can bring everywhere. Yeah, I think that's so true. In a lot of ways, social media made us overexpress one part of who we are, right? And not the whole self. And, you know, there's been studies released about the challenges there. Do you think that avatars and and this type of sense of self-identity will help with some of the challenges and reports that have come out about particularly younger women um, being really poorly influenced from Instagram? And and the data is out there, right? Mm. Absolutely. I mean, anyone who has a niece or a nephew that's in Gen Z, you know, someone who's under 15 or 16, they'll know that their niece or nephew or friend or cousin or brother, whatever it might be, actually gets anxiety when thinking about creating TikTok content. Why? Because they can't dance like Charlie D'Amelio or they don't have a ring light like another massive TikTok influencer. And it's ridiculous that we have an entire generation of bright eyed and bushy tailed potential creators feeling stifled and how they represent themselves online because of the climate that's been created around social media. So how do we prevent anxiety about like how fantastical to make your avatar, right? Mm, Like, because I'm thinking about this now and I'm feeling a little pressure, right? Like it's got to be really cool. Yeah, well, I think the fact if, if you can make incredible tools to allow people to create something and make it malleable in any way that they see fit, I think it'll actually de-escalate 
the anxiety that people feel around how they show up. If it's not exact version of your physical self, this sort of asset, if you will, that's been highly scrutinized on social media on like, what does perfection mean? And it's just been commodified and sort of bastardized in social media. If we can create a really malleable and fun and engaging way to express your identity in very much the same way that TikTok made video content fun and engaging and unintimidating, I think we're going to find a sweet spot where avatars become a key to wellness in the social space. That's pretty cool. And you guys recently closed like a $65 million Series B. So Mm -hmm. clearly there's some folks that believe in your vision and are excited about it. What was that process like? What are investors coming into the space and seeing what you guys are doing? What are Mm -hmm. they thinking about and sort of signing on? Absolutely. Well, you know, one of our core company values is big swing energy. And I think if we want to, you know, make a shit ton of money, we would do a 10,000 avatar project like we've seen to satisfy a pretty small cohort when it, you know, when you compare it to the rest of the world. But because we do have this uh, this vision of building a platform for billions, and we've seen almost a ton of MVPs popping up, right? A a bunch of tests around, oh, I want to be this adjective noun. I want to be this silly sloth. I want to be this lazy lion, et cetera, et cetera. We've seen that people are yearning for something to express and represent themselves online, but there's no unified platform to allow everyone to do that in a fun and engaging way. And so that's why our investors, our community, and everyone that's rallying around our vision is so excited about So what does the alpha version look like? And when, when is that coming? Sure. So um, our marketplace, the warehouse, uh, the alpha will start later this year where we're going to have our an inaugural drop of mostly Genie's branded wearables over the next several months. Over the next three to six months, we'll be testing our marketplace built on Flow as the next flagship after NBA Top Shot where folks will be able to buy and collect wearables for their avatar, again, to collect, not to speculate and flip, but to represent and express who they are. That really is the magic. And it's step one of really our 10-year, 10-step vision of how do we get people to fall in love with their avatar. And and how do these wearables get designed Mm -hmm. and created? And how do those decisions sort of manifest in terms of the community? Sure. Well, step one of this vision, Love My Genie, is all about filling the marketplace with the most culturally relevant avatar wearables that we're designing in-house, built on uh, you know the tastemakers, designs, and cultural leaders that we have brought into the fold. What's an example of one of those folks? So this could mean anyone from you know Justin Bieber or Rihanna, Cardi B, right? Massive global alpha aliens, as we call them. Alpha aliens. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Leaders of culture who stand out from their peers as being uniquely expressive in the way that they represent themselves. These aren't necessarily the people with the biggest followings, but the people who are... Justin has a pretty big following, I think. No, he for sure has a massive following, but he's also a thought leader in expression, in representation, in identity. And those, you know, Oliver Tree is another great example of this. Lizzo, fabulous example. Bad Bunny, DJ Snake, Little Nas X. I could go on and on about these individuals who we've, through our partnership with Warner Music Group and an upcoming partnership with another major music label that we brought into the fold. You know, we have leagues and players associations and brands like Gucci, these thought leaders and tastemakers, these alpha aliens are helping us build an ecosystem to allow our community to express themselves with their genie. And so when we think about who and how we're going to fill our marketplace with these wearables, step one, it will be us. But very soon, we're going to build out fun creator tools for people to build their own wearables and release them through our marketplace. We think, rest in peace, the next Virgil Abloh could be in their mom's house right now cooking up a brand, but because they don't have access to physical supply chains, they can't see their vision come to life. And we want to solve for that. So the next generation of creators can launch their brands without ever having to worry about the physical world. Have you guys started to think about 
co-creators. I know our friends at, at Digital Axe have this ability for anyone to create a textile mm. that then gets merged into a design. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about how to support co-creation of different sort of products in the space? It gets complicated because you want to mm. do it all in the blockchain. You want credit to go where credit is due, mm. but you also don't want to stifle individual creators from doing their thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that feeds into kind of what I was just sharing is that we're looking to build those fun engaging, easy to use tools to allow for co-creation so that we don't have to be the ones, you know, fully supplying the marketplace as it will be in the early days. We want everyone on earth to be able to create their own wearables in the same way that you can make TikTok content in a fun and engaging way. We want to make avatar wearable creation fun and engaging. So a lot of people have been talking about 2022 is definitely the year of metaverses how are partnerships with metaverses and interoperability with metaverses mm-hmm. fit into your strategy? Yeah, honestly, I would say fuck the metaverse is my first thing I would say. Why? It's because it's been stolen, actually, from us. And when you think back the origins of the metaverse, it lies in Snow Crash. It lies in Ready Player One, where this idea of a metaverse was sort of this siloed, centralized world that people in this dystopian, destroyed world outside in the physical world went to this find safe haven because the rest of what they had in, in the meat verse, as some people are calling, was completely destroyed. So we're looking at the digital world, right? We don't want necessarily what Meta is doing. And while it is going to reach a grand scale, we don't think it's necessarily the best way for a truly sovereign, decentralized digital world to come to life. So our big focus is how do we empower people to have their own ubiquitous identity that isn't trapped in one space, but can be brought everywhere. That really is where the focus of what 2022, I hope, becomes. We love differing opinions and it's cool to get your perspective. How does that manifest in real life? Like, what are the use cases for using Genies and being part of the Genies ecosystem Mm -hmm. look like for the 25-year-old up-and-coming accountant to Mm -hmm. the the 60-year-old that loves her her grandchildren, but she's also really into salsa? Mm -hmm. So you mean, what does it look like for them to create their own digital identity? Yeah, and to be part of this ecosystem you're creating. What does that look like if it's not in the metaverse? What is it? Sure. And I guess more so, it's not that the place that we're describing isn't going to be this virtual world where people are going. We think that it, you know, we eventually will get there, but we just think branding it and discussing it as the metaverse is very similar to how in the early days of the web 1.0, people called it cyberspace. You know, I don't think that really... So, so what is it? <laughs> Yeah, so I believe the digital world and how it's coming to life, the first version of this is more so a feeling. And it's that Mm -hmm. feeling of emotional intimacy that you get when you meet someone through a digital medium, but never interact with them physically. This could be Clubhouse, this could be primitively uh, Pyramid or AIM, those late night intimate conversations firing back and forth with witty text with someone that you met in school that maybe you never even had the chance to talk with on the playground, but because you were connecting on AIM, you had that emotional intimacy. That's what the digital world is. That's what we might say is metaverse 1.0, right? But as we're evolving, we're looking to give you that visual manifestation of how you feel yourself to be that you can bring into any digital environment, starting with social media, because that's where digital identity is thriving right now. That's where all of Noah's Ark's adjective noun animals are all hanging out right now. The bored apes, the cool cats, right? Social media is where we're focusing on first and giving you creator tools to foster that digital identity. Yeah. Yeah. You've definitely given me some new perspective on what the Web3 economy looks like. And and I appreciate your your point of view. I think one challenge with metaverses is how do you make them fun and engaging and a place for everyone where people actually participate? 
and where the technology is accessible to everyone, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think you're bringing up some really interesting things. And, and like, I think the lines between reality and metaverses and digital identity are much blurrier than a lot of sort of the mainstream press is, is sort of conveying. Mm, absolutely. Well, I think there are so many nuances that for the everyday person, they're going to monolith NFT, they're going to monolith metaverse. They're not going to really have the time or maybe the interest to dig too deeply until it starts to have a direct implication on their everyday life. And as we've seen, especially this last year, identity really is the bleeding edge, right? The edge of NFTs is digital identity because who we are is what we start with on this planet. It's a very Lockean idea. What are we sowing our energy and our work with and identity, who we are, how we show up? That seems to be one of the most important things to all of us. Social media framed our identity and our pictures literally in a frame as if we were an art piece. And now we're sort of transcending that physical representation that was commodified in the frame into this beautiful manifestation of however we see ourselves. It's much more fluid like we are. Yes. Yeah. That's great, man. Well, if folks are pumped about genies and want to sort of get involved in, in what you guys are doing, where do they go? What should they do? Absolutely. Yeah. So you can check out at genies everywhere a handle is relevant. Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and then definitely come hang in our Discord. If you're interested in getting down, we're building the, the hub of culture at Genies, and we're excited to be to be growing like crazy. That's great. And yeah, grab some tacos while you're doing it and really immerse yourself <laughs> in the community. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, Josh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. All right, on to our next session. This one features Jason Brink, president of blockchain at Gala Games. And first, we'll, we'll hit things off and let you give a little bit of intro of yourself and, and Gala, and, and then we'll dive into some questions. Sure, sure. Well, as you said, Jason Brink, president of Blockchain and Gala Games. Most people know me as Bitbender in the space. That's my little moniker, as you will. Uh-huh. I've been in the blockchain space since about 2013, 2014. Originally entered through the context of working to fix some of the problems in foreign aid. I did some disaster relief work in, in Haiti and Peru and places like that and saw some very significant problems that I felt could be fixed by blockchain. So I put together some proposed solutions, wrote a paper on it. I entered that into a a call for papers randomly, ended up getting uh, an award from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the Global Development Network for that. And that kind of started me in the space. And that was uh, in 2014 that that happened. And what I found, though, is as, as time went on, that it was NGOs and governments and the type of people who do foreign aid don't move quickly enough to actually implement any of these technological solutions. I mean, if you work with uh, an NGO or a charity and you would like to donate crypto to them, like, good luck. Yeah. Right? It's, it's a nightmare. And so what I found is that gaming presented a much more interesting way to cause positive change in the lives of people around the world, specifically play to earn gaming based on NFTs and, and, you know, tokenomics and things like that. And so that's why I joined Gala Games. Gala Games was founded by Eric Schiermeyer, one of the founders of Zynga. So he has like deep game DNA. And most of our C-suite come from the gaming industry. So former head of mobile products from EA is our president of games. And, you know, we have a bunch of other people at every level who've come over from traditional gaming because they see blockchain and NFTs is the the inevitable future of gaming. And it seems like it. we talk about it all the time, like happening under our feet right now is that convergence, right? Yes. You kept hearing. And the skinny ears. <laughs> Man, it's coming. And the pace of the evolution of the space. Massive, insanely fast. It's crazy. You know, when I, we were talking, I was talking to one of our managers the other day 
And he recently joined from, I forget which gaming company it was, but it was one of the big gaming companies. He just recently came over. And he says that after this, after just a month of working with us, there is no way that he could ever return to a conventional gaming company or one of the bigger tech companies because they're so slow. We work at 10 times the speed of anybody else, which is why we're like rocketing out of nowhere. Nobody, you know, a year ago we were, we were fairly unknown. And now we're, you know, people are seeing like crap. They're actually doing stuff, you know, shipping real products, real games. That's critical. It's one of the things we talk about, like coming out of like the 2017, 18 cycle, a lot of value creation, right? Like theoretical value creation was happening. Theoretical. Big, 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 (laughs) big, big, uh, theoretical phrase to use. Yes. But this time around, we're seeing true value creation. Yeah. Real product shipping, real revenue being created zero to a hundred million in six months. Like that's never been done before. Mm -hmm. This is insane. And it's, it's, I think it shows the continuing evolution and maturity in the space. You can actually create that value and capture some of it. Yeah, absolutely. So cool to see that stuff. So at Gala Games, like what's popping in the blockchain space like right now? What do you guys have going on? What should people get excited about? That's a lot. That's a lot. You know, this would be a, this would be a much easier interview if you had asked me in two weeks because I have a list of things as long as my arm that are embargoed that I can't talk about yet, man. So I can we tell can you, release it in two weeks if it really, you know, if you'd like to. We can twist it. We can too. It can twist our I don't know. I don't know. The gentleman here might have a problem with the arm <laughs> twisting. <laughs> but there's a lot going on. Sorry. That's cool. Right now we have one game that is live, is a live service playable that is already play to earn. That's Townstar. We have Spider Tanks, which will be switching over right now. It's in a a beta that anyone with NFTs can jump in and play. And that will be switching over to play to earn in Q1 of next year. We've got, other than that, three or four more games that we have announced. We have another couple coming to a node governance vote here before too terribly long. And we have a massive pile of stuff in the pipeline coming right now. We've got about 15 other other games. And these are real games. I mean, I think one of the things that I'd like to drive home for a moment, if I may stand on a little tiny soapbox, sure. is we're not a blockchain gaming company. We're a gaming company that makes games mm. that uses blockchain as an integral part of the tech mm. stack. This is a very, very big distinction. It doesn't seem like it should be, but it really, really is. And what that means where the rubber meets the road is that prior to us ever talking about a token, ever releasing a token, ever spinning up the node network, anything like that, we had a live service game that people could already play. There was never a white paper of like, we'd really like to build this thing and someone please buy tokens. We've never had an ICO. We never have done anything like that. We're approaching this from an entirely different paradigm. I think it makes a really, really big difference. Yeah, agreed. And, and in that case, what does it take in terms of building those games before doing token launches, right? I mean, you've got to bring investors on board. Is that nope. just how it goes? Or? No, we entirely self-funded. Okay. Entirely self-funded. We have never taken a cent of VC money. We do not have investors that we have to, you know, we're not beholden to anybody. And this is super, super important. I mean, in this industry, you hear like, oh, so-and-so has raised $200 million. So-and-so has raised $300 million. And the only thing that I hear when the people say that is, gosh, that's so sad. Because what they've done with that raise is they have ceded control. 
they're no longer free to act in the best interest of the games or the gamers. They are now required by fiduciary responsibility to act in best interest of their investors, who are not gamers. VC funds do not write $300 million checks because they like games. VCs write $300 million checks because they like money. That's a big, big, big difference there. Yeah, yeah. we've been there uh, with a venture-backed company previously. And it is interesting yeah, how those incentives misalign sometimes. Oh, they, they can. I'm not going to like throw all VCs under the bus or yeah. anything like that. But it does create a misalignment that is damaging, I feel. Mm-hmm. So let's talk, let's talk alignment. Collaboration, community, it's the center of everything that's happening here in so many different ways. Obviously, there's your underlying community and, and everything that they mean to what you're doing. How do you see yourself in terms of collaboration in the space with other gaming companies? We love connecting. Interoperability, like all those fun things that, uh, that are possible. We love connecting with other companies. Talking about community a tiny bit first, yeah. we have what is, I feel, the best Discord on the internet. People can join at galagames.chat. It's quite large at this point in time. I think we're just, we just went over 100,000 members here not that long ago. And it is the most uplifting, positive, fun Discord that you have ever experienced. Most of the time you go into these discords and it's like this sad, toxic soup of like, wind, moon, why number not go up, angry, angry, angry. <laughs> but we carefully keep that fairly curated. We have a massive team of community moderators and it's a very wonderful discord to hang out in. And we have done probably about a third of our hiring from our community. Interesting, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, you know, I heard that. And some of our lead developers are people that were eight months ago, dropping into the Discord, like, hey, what's this? I just bought this NFT. I want to learn more about it. Now they're integral members of our, our actual company, which is, which is cool. But to answer your question more broadly, connecting with the rest of the space, partnerships, collaborations, we love stuff like that. I mean, this is one of the most open and collaborative spaces that there is. And the nature of the blockchain and the fact that you put something out on the blockchain, Anybody in the world can use a block explorer to look at, see what tokens exist, who has those tokens, and then can do interesting things based on. I mean, one of the examples that I talk about, we haven't actually done this yet, but we told we could, is, for example, say that everybody who has a crypto kitty gets a cat that they can place inside of Townstar. Okay. And then if you have a cat in Townstar, it walks around and meows and is cute. And we can totally do that. And nobody can stop us from doing that. Mm -hmm. And anybody can give additional utility to any NFT they want in exactly this way. You just index it, build it into a game, and, you know, you're off to the races. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah, this fascinating functionality. Like you said, it's like like a permissionless, you know, of course, if there's copyright material or IP, you know, you, you can't copy it exactly. But you can just sure. offer permission, you know, hey, sure. you own something, then you're in. You yeah, that's, that's exactly right. sure. I mean, this is one of the things that we've done with the Vox drops. I don't know if you guys have seen Vox. When you get your Vox, you get a little FBX file, okay, that you can download and you can use. You can upload it to any voxel-based world that you want and wander around and do stuff with it. We're working with a few different, I don't know if you guys are familiar with GamerJibe. They're this really, really cool, totally plugging them here. They're this really, really cool online environment for like conferences. It is the only online environment I have ever experienced that replicates the actual insanity of a conference where you can like walk around and talk to people and they have proximity based audio. So you can just like actually be having a conversation with people just like you would in a conference hall. It's super neat. 
But one of the things that they're working on is actually making it so that you can connect your wallet and then use your Vox to walk around in the world. So you can have your unique one of 8,888 unique programmatically generated characters that can be you. It's a, you know, it's, it's something that's super cool. I love that connectivity and that uh, mm-hmm. ability to create broader industry alignment. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. It reminds me of uh, if you go in like Latin America or, or some other countries in, in Europe, you have this like carnival atmosphere, right? Where it's like they choose one day or one week a year where everybody puts on a mask, you know, and like right. gets to play around with their identity and do something fun. Or, well, that's the know. entire space right now. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really fascinating. It's a very essential human urge to want to at least have some moments to do that. And uh, it's interesting to put that into a conference space and like, oh, maybe it's in and out of it. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about NFT specifically involving yeah. Gala Games. Like what kind of NFTs do we do we have there? You know, well, e- yeah. each game that exists on our platform has NFTs associated with it. The type of NFTs are entirely dependent on what the requirements of the game are. For example, in Townstar, OK, you have ERC 1155 fungible tokens that you can use in game. You place them, for example, like a fountain might you know, water crops more or a specific type of storage might make it easier for you to to build a particular type of game loop based on whatever the product is that you're storing. Townstar, by the way, was created by Michael McCarthy, the game director for Farmville 2. Mm. Okay, so again, knows his stuff. Definitely a very deep game. And it looks cute, but it will break you. Like it will absolutely destroy you when you try playing it. <laughs> but once you figure it out, it's super rewarding. Yeah. Um, and you can actually place your Vox in it and earn. So any NFT that you're placing in there that you're playing with earns you town. Anyway, that was a total departure. I'm sorry about that. Where were we even going? The question I was asking, so the integration <laughs> of NFTs. With the- oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, okay, I was on track, yeah, I was on track. Right. I just forgot the next one. <laughs> you know, and then you take a game like Spider Tanks, uh-huh. okay, which if you guys have seen our, our booth, you've played or you know, a lot of a lot of you on online have uh, tried it out right now. It's in beta. The NFTs in there are the tanks themselves, the turrets, the various bodies, the weapons, the skins, all of that is an NFT. And so if you own those, OK, those are actually we're getting ready to stand up a new contract quite soon. We'll be bridging all of those over and those will actually all be the equivalent of ERC 721s. And you'll have the ability to upgrade those as you go forward. So the more that you play, the more that your NFT can potentially become worth, mm-hmm. which is which is a really cool concept. So it really depends on the specific game. Mm-hmm. Mirandas has land deeds and and exemplars and things like that. And are like these that. being tra- traded? Like, yes. see, yes, they are. And, and Massively. Um, no. Mirandas on, so right now, well, as of like 12 hours ago, I don't like sit on my phone and look at these things, but as of 12 hours ago, Vox, was like the number six most traded project on OpenSea. And mm. Mirandus was okay. like, <laughs> Mirandus was like the number 20th or something like that. So they're quite actively traded. And move it. So we always like to get a, a perspective from folks about what's coming next. You know, we know it takes a little bit of uh, imagination and we don't guarantee you have the vision. But what kind of things are you excited about moving forward, you know, both inside and outside of, of Gala Games? I am looking forward to the first real AAA NFT gaming experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've heard that before. Yeah. I'm very much looking forward to that. 
it's going to be very, very interesting when that comes along. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing how play to earn, and this is a broader industry thing, how play to earn begins changing sort of the, the, the economic flow of really everything. I mean, people for the longest time, we've all been told that you have to go to an office, right? And you have to put on a suit and sit at a desk and click buttons, right? Or you have to go to a factory and you have to, you know, run a press or something like that. Well, everyone knows now that factory jobs are being automated out of existence. Like it's just cheaper to get robots to do stuff than it is to pay people to do them. And two years of a pandemic have shown us all that you can get your work done wearing a button down shirt and sweatpants on your couch. And this whole office concept is an artificial construct. And so with these two realities, the concept of work is changing. Mm -hmm. And so what we're going to see going forward into the future is we're going to see a tremendous increase in play to earn and types of ecosystems like that where work itself gets redefined. And it's no longer what's your job, okay? Because I mean, how many people have a job that is like almost useless, right? Like how many people just like go there and they're like, I don't <laughs> do anything, my God. Yeah. Work now is going to go away from like, what is your job to what is the value you're creating? Mm -hmm. What are you bringing to the world and to the economy? And in play to earn gaming, that's super clear. You know, you are bringing a service that other players want, that other people in a broader ecosystem are interested in, whether you're grinding to get some particular thing that you're selling on the market or you're questing to do whatever it is that you need to do or fighting in spider tanks or building the perfect farm. The way that we work is changing. And I think that play to earn is going to be a big part of that future. Yeah. Mm, fun is a big part of that, right? Yeah, absolutely, man. It's got to be fun. If it's not fun, you did it wrong. Yeah. Do it again. Exactly. Try again. And on that, on that front, we talked a little bit about roadmap earlier. I know there's a lot you can't speak about. Yes. Like anything in way of partnerships or collaborations that uh, we, you mentioned? So we partner and collaborate with a lot of different entities and organizations. In terms of uh, specific partnerships that are related to game development, We've got a lot of stuff that's coming up, but I, I can't quite go into it just right now. Okay, just give like um, the first letter or two. <laughs> I should read. First letter, two or three, whatever. Yeah, just, you know. Like hangman or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, we, we could do that. We could do that. And then in terms of ecosystems, you know, we're working a lot to build out our ecosystem connections in a lot of different countries. We recently announced, this is actually something I haven't, I mentioned in passing on Twitter, and I think a lot of people missed it. We're allocating $1 billion of funding to game development in South Korea. Mm -hmm. And that's with a B. And we are also, I would also like to point out that that's for South Korea. And there are a lot of other countries in the world. So we're actively looking to make connections and to build partnerships with people and game developers around the world. We would like over the next few years for Gala Games to essentially become blockchain Steam. Yeah. You know, and I think that we have the ability, we have the wherewithal, the technical capacity and the team to make that happen. I'll tell you, the social and economic implications of that are tremendous, staggering, world changing. Absolutely. And that's what it's about, man. I mean, I started all of this because I got sick and tired 
And and when I say I started, I started getting involved in blockchain. I did not found Gala Games. That's Eric. I don't want to claim that one. But I, I started pushing in this direction because I got sick and tired of watching people die of starvation when money was flooding into the country like crazy in Haiti. Like that's an unacceptable reality. Okay. And so many people are so willing to accept the unacceptable. And we in this industry don't have to. We can change it. We have the freedom. We have the abilities to make these massive world shattering changes. And that's why I'm so happy and so proud to be here doing what we do where we are right now. We're, we're excited for you to be there right. pushing the envelope as well. Yeah. It's amazing, man. Well, look, it's been great talking with you and we'd love for our listeners to follow along and sure ensure that they're tracking the progress as well. Where should they go to follow Gala yourself and sure, all these sure. amazing happenings? So the first thing that I would, I would recommend is definitely, definitely, definitely get involved in our Discord. Join our Discord at galagames.chat. Okay. It is the best Discord ever. If I am wrong, come and tell me. You can yell at me. I'm in the, one of the green names in the top right corner. You can also follow us on social media. We're on basically every platform at GoGalaGames. Okay. And you can follow me personally, primarily on Twitter at BitbenderBrink. This. Well, thanks so much, man, for spending this time with us today. We really Pleasure. appreciate it. Pleasure. It's been wonderful. I'm beautiful. All right. Welcome here back to uh, the Miami DecentralCon. Our next session here is going to be with Brittany Kaiser. Really excited about this one. I'm going to toss it over to you, Brittany, really quickly, just to give a little bit of you and your background for the listener. Absolutely. Hey, guys, my name is Brittany Kaiser. I am a data rights activist. I'm the chair of the board of Griffin Digital Mining and the founder of the Own Your Data Foundation. Some of you might know me as the Cambridge Analytica whistleblower or just the crypto chick that's obsessed with data ownership. Awesome. Yeah, it's a really a pleasure to have you here and just do respect for everything that you've accomplished and been able to get through so far. I um, appreciate all that's gone into that. We're at the Edge of NFTs. That's this program. We love to get a little bit of background. You know, what's your first exposure to NFTs in your, your process of getting into NFT? For me, I started getting into NFTs originally when the crypto or blockchain superheroes collection was first dropped on Wax. I was told that one of them was made after me, um, <laughs> the Data Avenger. And she is this awesome character where it says own your data on her arm. And she has this a few giant weapons in order to fight the data invaders. And I thought that that was so cool that I started collecting some of the blockchain superheroes and checking out what it was like to open a pack of virtual cards. When I was little, I used to collect Pokemon cards. And so like that type of activity and like that kind of collector vibe is deep in my blood. And I got excited about that, started following the industry. And during the shutdown, when I was spending a lot of time at home, I started helping artists launch their NFT collections by running clubhouse auctions. Oh. And so a lot of the past year, I helped launch collections from Pussy Riot to Time Magazine to Edward Snowden. And that was one of the most incredible experiences, basically getting to see what NFTs were doing for different types of projects how people were using smart contracting in new ways. Like, mm. I think one of the first really interesting ones was Mad Dog Jones and the Replicator started doing a lot of NFT auctions with Sotheby's and Christie's and like right. really seeing the merger between the fine art world and, you know, the traditional Web3 crypto people and then 
traditional artists who were starting to become digital artists. And honestly, it's been a huge engagement and learning curve for, I think, a lot of people. But for me, what has been so exciting is that I've been going on and on about data ownership since 2017, not just at blockchain conferences, but at government conferences and law conferences and tech conferences all around the world. And now NFTs are the first time where the general public actually understands what it means to own data, Mm. to like own ones and zeros, to have ownership and rights and control over digital content. And that to me is the most magical part about all of this. Yeah. I love how these conversations, they take my mind adrift sometimes and the territory's never been before, you know? And as yeah, I studied neuroscience, right? And so I'm fascinated with this idea of we're all just kind of a bunch of molecules, right? And where do we begin and where do we end even, right? You know, the brain decides, right? Is it at our skin? Is it as something that we're holding in our hand that we can extend out? And this is just fascinating to me that also we may need to start as part of our consciousness, as part of who we are, recognizing that our it's part of us and it could be across the world. It could be stored on a device or something. And like, you might want to protect that as closely as you, you know, you want to protect your body from getting damaged or something. Absolutely. I'm so glad you actually said that because for a lot of people in order to kind of land the plane, I try to talk about data ownership and ownership of your most personal information in the same way that you own your body. And Mm -hmm. if someone wants to touch it or use it, they need to ask your permission Mm -hmm. and there needs to be explicit informed consent. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So a lot of that language that people use around your physical body when you're talking about consent and sexual relationships and whatever, that actually extends really well into the data conversation where we have been duped into giving away more than we ever would have consented to if we were actually informed right? what we were going into when we touch a technology platform, when we download an app and don't read the terms and conditions, etc. and so forth. And so I think one of the most beautiful things about NFTs is that we, for the first time, are actually able to inscribe in a smart contract the rights that we would like to give to a certain piece of digital content. And that digital content is not available for anyone until we have minted it, until we've actually encrypted it with the rights that we have decided. So the use case, how it can be transferred, how it can be used, what rights or royalties, et cetera, and so forth are actually akin to that content and that data. So that's, in my opinion, just so groundbreaking. Right. And I appreciate that metaphor that you gave just about consent. And, you know, there's at least currently, thank goodness we're expanding this conversation in, in the sexual realm about consent. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, we're seeing all the nuances of what consent does and doesn't mean. And it just brings us back to what you talked about. You, you mentioned it very briefly, terms of service, right? Does that really count as consent? It's literally humanly not possible to read through those. You know, 50 pages of legalese that were written specifically to confuse you so you don't understand what you're yeah, giving yeah, away, right? Right. And stuff like that happens in all these other realms of consent as well is kind of, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Exactly. So I want to touch a little bit upon like what your focus is right now. But we're also, I'm recognizing you mentioned art and integrating with artists so much. This event has some cool art integrations and Art Basel is going on mm-hmm. this week. So how are you thinking about Art Basel and, and how, how are you involved? And, and what do you think about this? It's really like a kind of a once in history 
item on the agenda here where NFTs are integrating with these these events. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I ever expected Art Basel to become a crypto conference, um, but it feels like it has become a blockchain week, which is like so mind blowing. But you see every single famous artist or celebrity or content creator around the world launching their own NFT collections and getting into NFTs. So it's not just digital artists that are in this space. It's everyone that has the ability or has had any touch on content creation is now doing it through NFTs and being able to have those rights and those royalties and more control than traditional marketing of art or music or any other sort of content that people create. So it's really amazing that you just see the traditional art world, the traditional kind of celebrity world and content creation in general, just moving into Web3 and Web3 just completely taking it over. So what I'm doing here is a number of things, which is speaking at a lot of events, really taking people up to a higher level and explaining to them why data ownership is revolutionary and Mm. kind of moving away from legacy technologies that are inherently extractive, that have no transparency or consent mechanisms or permission structures, where it's only there to take as much of our value as possible and accumulate it at the top of a corporation, Mm -hmm. as opposed to empowering individuals where we have control and consent and those rights Mm -hmm. and the ability to monetize things that benefit ourselves as opposed to just the company that built the platform, right? And so doing as many of those talks as possible while also starting to get into NFT production myself. I just came back from Finland producing my first NFT collection with Vesa. I know you guys have yeah. uh, done an incredible interview with Vesa. It was yeah. so great. I love that conversation between you guys. And we are actually creating a, not just an NFT collection, we're creating a virtual reality experience that will travel from art galleries to museums to conferences and exhibitions where you are going to go into virtual reality and through like battling cookies and being able to like ride through to your financial freedom and like through all these digital literacy concepts, you will slowly start to become more digitally intelligent and aware and understand the importance of privacy and data protection and consent and all of these different mechanisms that are usually a little too technical. And so we make it like more creative and fun and engaging as an educational tool. And so you will be able to earn NFTs in the game. Like a, a lot of the assets within it are NFTs that will interact with each other. And so we'll have a lot of fun playing around with different types of smart contracting, but in a really beautiful way. Like I really think that creativity has proven is the best way for mass adoption. I mean, that's why NFTs are the Collier's Dictionary word of the year. That's why the most searched forward of the entire year. That's why everyone around the world might have like, heard of NFTs on the news or watching Saturday Night Live or whatever it happens to be. And they might have not yet heard of Bitcoin or know what blockchain technology is, but they know what an NFT is, yeah. not just not what's running the back end. And so that's what's so magical. It's really creativity that got people engaged in Web3. That's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a creative. I, I play music I make art, things like this. And I feel it's a long time coming. If for people that are that are watching trends and historical trends and technology trends, you know, as early as 10 years ago, this stuff seemed like it should be happening. Yes, robots taking our jobs, but leaving us like with room to actually do what we do as best as humans. It's, it's creative pursuits, right? So I'm it's so excited to see things uh, steamrolling right now. Absolutely. So I'm just excited about what's going to happen for the rest of this week. So happy to be at Art Basel and Decentral and see how everything comes together. 
anything else from the future, your future roadmap, or if you want to share like things you see coming down the pike, you know, you don't have to predict the future, but it's interesting to get your opinion. Absolutely. Well, in my opinion, I think that most people are in this revolutionary kind of tectonic shift from being renters on Web 2 to being owners in Web 3 and knowing that now all of your time, your attention, the content that you create can be owned and controlled and monetized in the way that you wish, as opposed to just the way that whatever company that built the platform chooses to use it for. And that's what is really revolutionary, that we can own everything that we touch and produce and do as opposed to someone owning us. I like to say that technology should work for us instead of us working for technology. And and that's really what NFTs have allowed for. Very cool. Have you connected with Fetch.ai? We've had them Not a yet. couple of times on the show. They're oh, out of, uh, for no reason besides coincidence, they're graduates, some, a few graduate students from Cambridge, <laughs> but they study machine learning and built this AI company. And really one of the themes of what they do is distributed usage of data, right? So now instead of a, a centralized authority having all the data and doing whatever they want with it, and you can't hardly even access a piece of it, right? how can we actually have collaborative and collective ways to all give a piece of data to solve problems and, and I can have the benefits? Yeah. That's honestly one of my biggest passions. Like I'm not a privacy, I'm not a privacy activist. I'm an activist for technology actually being able to improve the state of the world and for all of us to feel comfortable and safe securely and anonymously sharing our data so that we can solve more problems. If we all shared our data with healthcare researchers, we would be able to solve medical anomalies much faster. If we all shared our data with smart cities infrastructure, we wouldn't have traffic accidents, Mm -hmm. et cetera, and so forth. And so like, these are the types of things where I like to be someone who really engages with the concept that using these advanced forms of technology, as long as we do it safely and transparently and Mm -hmm. consensually, is going to improve our lives and and not the opposite. I think a a lot of privacy activists make you feel like if you share your data, something bad's going to happen to you. Right, right. And that's not the case. If you share your personally identifiable information, yeah, a lot of bad things could happen, but that's what we do every day without consensually deciding to do so. It just happens to us and our data is taken from us. We don't have those rights. So being able to use blockchain technologies, new legislation and digital literacy education to kind of combat that and move us from web two to web three is really what I'm spending the next many years of my life doing. Excellent. Well, we'll connect you with Fetch. Can tell you're, you know, you're just having so much passion behind this and you're probably doing a lot of talking. Like, oh my, oh my God, literally, I need so much water right now. Like, <laughs> I just did a talk, a, a keynote that was three times as long because they, oh they kept God. on like adding time to the clock and being like, keep going. Oh I was God. like, all right. Great, I will. Like, I'll keep talking if you want me to, but now I like, don't have a voice left. Yeah, we need you to take care of yourself. <laughs> Maybe like spend some time with the vocal coach. Or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Vocal cords, <laughs> but yeah, we'll give you a break. Thank you so much for joining us. We always like to get like very specific information where people can go to find out more or follow you. Of so course. Make sure you say that stuff. Of um, course, definitely. So please uh, check out my website, ownyourdata.foundation. The Own Your Data Foundation is a 501c3 charity. And we specifically make content for parents and teachers and children to learn more about protecting themselves online and not just being safe, but being successful. So making sure that kids have the foundation to lead a very productive and successful digital life, which at its core is understanding data protection and digital literacy and media literacy and the whole gambit of different items there. And so you can follow me on social media 
at own your data now on Twitter and, you know, I'm generally slash own your data on every other platform, but I spend more time on Twitter and now in Discord than anywhere else. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with us and look forward to uh, collaborating with you again in the future. Absolutely. Such a pleasure. Thanks, guys. For sure. Hi. We love having listeners like you because you're not only generous, but you're smart and you want to maximize the impact of your generosity. Donating money to help people can be a wonderful and selfless act, but how can you feel confident that your donations are improving or saving lives effectively? You could do weeks of research to find the charities that are out there, programs that they run, how effective those programs are, and how the charity might use your money. Or you could visit GiveWell.org. There, you'll get a short vetted list of the best charities they've found at saving or improving lives per dollar. GiveWell spends over 20,000 hours each year researching charitable organizations and only recommends a few of the highest impact evidence back to charities they've found. Here's an example of how we at Edge of NFT make our charitable contributions go super far. Quick search on GiveWell's website, found their maximum impact fund, clicked donate, sent crypto to their address, done. Their maximum impact fund distributes quarterly to the charities that they believe will do the most good. GiveWell accepts a broad variety of popular tokens and provides a simple way to document your donation. If you've never donated to GiveWell's recommended charities before, you can have your donation matched up to $250 before the end of the year or as long as matching funds last. To claim your match, go to GiveWell.org and pick podcast and enter Edge of NFT at checkout. Make sure they know you heard about GiveWell from Edge of NFT to get your donation matched. This next clip features an impromptu interview Josh caught with crypto and NFT OG Brock Pierce, one of the early pioneers in blockchain. Today with its NFT sale, the Whales for Whales project, 50 whales go live in this sale. The proceeds of that sale goes into a DAO or an endowment to create the diatom. Diatom are responsible for half of the world's oxygen, kind of an important thing. The Sustainable Development Goal SDG number 14, the ocean. The ocean, like we need to protect the ocean. And so those diatom then are paired to like one pound of plastic and it creates a PRC or a plastic reduction credit, like a carbon credit. So the culprits of dumping the massive amounts of plastic into the ocean pay for those credits that go back to the crypto or the die or the diatom, which the endowment has launched with this NFT sale. This is where NFTs meets DAOs, meets new carbon credit like plastic reduction credits to start solving the world's largest problems. And yes, the endowment is then continuing to grow through staking and DeFi. Like this is how you combine all the pieces, put the puzzle together to change the world. That's amazing. And you know, at Edge of NFT, we, we felt very strongly that NFTs are not the be all end all, but they are a bridge, they are a connector. And this project sounds like it's bringing everything together, but it wouldn't necessarily be as easy to do without NFTs, correct? Well, the NFT is the seed right. that basically through this sale, it bursts. And so if you have one of these whales, you don't just have an amazing NFT, you have a piece of history, yeah. right? Something that is birthing the toolkit to start to address the world's largest problems. And the badge of honor, you know, that that is, you are seeding the DAO or the endowment that then creates the staking and the DeFi to keep growing the, 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 the pool of resources to then start to solve the challenges in the ocean, starting with the plastic reduction credit 
And then from there, you know, how do we start dealing with oil spills? How do we start dealing with coral reef re restoration? How do we start, you know, like Sea Shepherd, making sure that we're protecting the whales and the sharks and their fins and, you know, all of this stuff. You know, the ocean is obviously not the end, but it's the beginning. Let's start there and let's start working through every one of the world's problems. This toolkit, all of these things, when assembled and used correctly, will change the world. That's why we're here. Absolutely, my man. And where can people go to get involved in this particular project? What should they do? So, Diatom, let me just check it. You get, get into the Discord. Before this went live, before we've even talked about it, 15, 20,000 people already were in the Discord. I mean, today it's... I, have yeah, no, let I me heard about see. it from, from Luke Stokes. Shout out to Luke. Yeah, I brought Luke in to help thinking through the uh, the DAO kind of component of all of it. All right, where am I? There we go. Um, so it's D-I-A-T-O-M and uh, DAO, D-A-O, and also could be found on Twitter. You can get into the Discord. You can get involved in this amazing project. What are some of the other sort of breakthroughs in NFT technology that you're excited about for uh, 2022? Well, I, I, I ran for president of the United States as an independent candidate last year. So I heard. Um, no intention of winning. I announced on July 4th of election year. An auspicious day for an independent candidate. But what I was doing is I was going into the machinery of our political system. Not as a candidate, you know, running around as a D or an R, but really how does the, how do the mechanics of our political process work? What is the election process? And so that was basic training. Uh, the press just discovered that I had filed for a U.S. Senate run in Vermont. Clearly, there's going to be an NFT campaign finance component to create new tools of engagement of how your um, donors and eventual constituents engage with you for town halls in the metaverse, how they can participate in policy discussion, start to, to, to create a direct connection with those people that you represent so that you can also be held accountable I think to the things that you commit to doing. That's beautiful. I think we saw with the Constitution Dow project and how no one wanted a refund when they didn't get the Constitution. They wanted to create more value in the world and, and be part of policy making. That there's a real demand for what you're trying to build there. Yeah, I mean, two, three trillion dollars of wealth didn't end up in the hands of the limited partners of venture capitalists. So $250 billion industry, VC. What are VCs here to do? To invest in disruptive, innovative technology. The beneficiaries of that are endowments, pensions, financial institutions, or the world's elite. They missed it. They missed it. And so two to three trillion dollars have ended up in the hands of the people all around the world that have foresight to see into the future. And with that kind of wealth in the hands of the people that care about building a better world, everything is possible. The future is going to happen to us or with us, so let's build a world that works for everyone. We got this. I love it's it. It's as good as done. Now let's just live it out. All right, that's, that's a wrap, guys. Brock, we'll have you on the show for a full show soon uh, with Ethan and Jeff and myself and go into more detail. Appreciate your time. Enjoy the rest of our Basel. See you in Puerto Rico. And I think it's uh, 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 Diatom Dow or Diatom Fun. Fun. I right. should know the domain. We'll, we'll, we'll get it. We'll, <laughs> share it. we'll share it with everyone. Thanks, my friend. All right. Sounds good. All right. And uh, our next session here live from Decentral is 
with Tor Bear from Secret. I'm really excited to talk to him about what they're up to, but I'll let him take it over and just give an intro of, of himself and what they're doing at Secret. Yeah, so I'm Tor. I'm the founder of Secret Foundation. It's one of the entities that supports Secret Network alongside many, many others. Recently, we've been collaborating with Secret Labs. They're the core devs of the protocol and working with some major creators like Quentin Tarantino to bring their NFTs to our chain to use privacy-enabled technologies to build the future of NFTs. It's super crazy how fast the space is evolving in this regard. We've, we've been at it for about like four or five years, but it's never felt like it's moved as fast as this. Yeah, totally appreciate that statement about how fast it's moving. I think that's why folks like us are in it. We like that. We like living on the edge of things. We call our podcast uh-huh. the edge of NFT for a reason. Let me step back just a minute and just get a little bit into the evolution of your involvement in NFTs and blockchain. Like what brought you to Secret Network and what gets you amped about this specific project? I started taking blockchain pretty seriously as a technology in around 2015. And I was already watching Bitcoin, not really investing in Bitcoin before that. But like before that, it was just like, like you said, You like when things move fast. You like when they're crazy. You like when there's volatility and chaos. Like I was an options trader. Mm. I loved volatility and chaos and Bitcoin was that. Mm. But I didn't understand the tech behind it until I got to grad school and I did my business degree at MIT. And at the time, MIT is where all of the research was being done on blockchain, where the Mm. where the core developers for Bitcoin were being housed. So I was right place, right time to really start to appreciate it. I came in at more from like, I also have like an artistic background. I'm a musician. So I came at it from a perspective of what else can blockchain do? Okay, it can move money. It can be really volatile. What else could it do? And I wrote some of my independent study work on digital rights management with blockchain. Mm. And I ran into an issue pretty quickly with the underlying technology, which is there's absolutely no privacy for any of this. It's great for moving royalties around, provability, authentication, not really great for protecting any of the data that would be involved in any of that process. And it happened to be the exact same time that a researcher at the MIT Media Lab called Guy Ziskin was writing these foundational papers about privacy mm-hmm. in blockchain and how they could be combined to create these decentralized computing platforms with privacy for the users. Right. And things kind of went from there. He started this company, Enigma. I joined as the head of growth afterwards in 2017. And, you know, it's been a very long journey from that company to where the entire ecosystem stands today. But now we're a fully decentralized ecosystem of independent companies and developers and applications building on top of it. Everything is privacy. Everything is like private by default, protecting users, protecting data. The side that I care about the most goes back to that research that I was doing in grad school. Like, how can we use this to make lives better for artists, get them paid, get them protected? build direct relationships between creators, collectors, consumers. Mm -hmm. If we can solve that with Web3, that's potentially even more meaningful than the financial revolution that we've already been seeing in Web3. The cultural revolution that's happening in Web3 is what has gotten me crazy excited over the last 12 months and I think has changed a lot of people's minds about what this is going to mean at the end of the day, not just as a speculative asset class, but something that just redefines how we create, how we collect and consume and what is the future of that connection? What is it going to mean for each of us individually? Beautiful, man, everything you said, I've got so many things I could dig into, I love it all. 
where should I go from here? Well, f- first of all, the Media Lab, I was going to ask, as you were mentioning being at MIT, I've always really loved the Media Lab over there. And if I could go and live multiple lives, I would also spend some time doing some some work there because I visited there just to kind of like walk around and be like, God, this place is so cool. Yeah, if you haven't been, it's like the kind of place where they just like hang crazy art on the walls. That's also science. And like, here's a new type of like animal skin we developed as a synthetic <laughs> right. and also it's waterproof and it's, it's yeah. just the weirdest stuff yeah. i like was cutting my accounting classes so that i could go yeah sit in the lobby and just absorb some totally. of what was happening and it's crazy to see the bleeding edge of the bleeding edge and how long it takes to become reality like you always know when you're one cycle too early yeah but there's so much stuff that's come out of there that now is finally like right on time and right. a lot of that's going to end up in the metaverse it's going to be nuts yeah it's fascinating stuff The other piece I wanted to bring in is, you know, you mentioned kind of how this all is exploding for creators. And again, I keep saying, like, I've been waiting for the creator economy. I mean, we have a creator economy, but it's been talked about for many years. And who would have known that it's that NFTs that are really unlocking this economy Mm. of creators? You know, it's, it's really the next level. Well, NFT is like this shorthand word that I feel like has now, it was the word of the year I just found yeah, out like right. last week. Like, what the heck? It's not even a word. It's a, it's, it's an acronym for two words, one of which is hyphenated. So I'm like, I'm blown away by like how quickly this has entered the cultural consciousness, but yeah. it's become a shorthand for the, like the new creator economy. Yes. And I still don't think people understand what it actually means for creators with NFTs or what it means for collectors or whether they're going to hold their value. And I would rather people say, creator economy Mm. so that we don't skip past the hard questions of what is it going to take to make these NFTs retain their value to keep these new communities together. Mm -hmm. If we just say NFT and kind of hand wave it away and it's like, oh, NFT, that means a creator economy. A lot of aspects of NFTs are not actually creator friendly and don't protect their rights. And they actually give quite a bit away issuing NFTs that aren't secret issuing on like these public by default chains. I think what we're trying to do is restore the power and sustainability of like a Web3 creator economy to the concept of NFTs. But we shouldn't take for granted that just because we've invented the concept of a non-fungible token that a creator economy that's sustainable will emerge versus another platform economy that's going to have slightly different winners. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another piece of what you talked about, and of course, the main theme of what you're talking about is this privacy just a couple hours ago, got an opportunity to talk to Brittany Kaiser, right? Mm. And she's just like a champion of just everything doesn't have to be private, but just really understanding your data and what parts of it should be private, what parts of it isn't, what, you know, how can you give your consent for these things? Just have awareness around yeah. it. Yeah. So fun fact, we're also high school classmates. Are you serious? Well, wow, that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we took a class about this. It's just funny to see how like these parallel worlds are converging for a lot of people. I I have a ton of respect for her mission. And, you know, The Great Hack was an incredible movie just sort of documenting how hard it is to just reveal the truth of what's happened in Web 2. But if you don't know the truth, how can you fix it in Web 3? Right, right. So let's talk a little bit about the present for Secret and what's going on with you guys now. Tell me a little bit about what you're excited about in the moment or what's going on. Yeah, so to explain like what, all of this has to do with NFTs, right? Yeah. So Secret is its own blockchain. It's it's not necessarily a separate universe. It's just a, a simultaneous universe with all these other blockchains. But every other blockchain is public by default. We do private by default. The data is encrypted, only accessible by the owner of the wallet mm-hmm. unless they choose to share that data, reveal that data. What this means for NFTs is NFTs that get issued on secret network have unique properties. They can either have public or private ownership. You don't have to reveal your ownership of any particular NFT. 
And if you do, you're not revealing simultaneously your ownership of every single NFT that you own or ever will own. Right, which you could do right now. It's like if somebody buys an NFT, like they bought an NFT, what else do they buy? Because oh, they have yeah. their wallet address now. And then you just tweet at them. You're just like, I can't believe you also own this thing. I can't, <laughs> where, I thought you had taste, man. It's like, it is a little bizarre because it doesn't work like that in the real world. The yeah. other thing that doesn't work like that in the real world is this whole idea of the metadata of the NFT. So a secret NFT, you can have either public metadata or private metadata or both. And a simple way to understand that is to say, okay, you could put like a watermarked image in the public metadata. Now everybody can see your watermarked low quality ape. But in the private metadata is the super 8K version of your ape. And only you have access to the high quality version. If you want to display it somewhere, if you want to share it somewhere, people know that you were the only one who was able to do that because only you have access to the actual high quality content. Mm. And like that trivial use case of public private metadata pairs is one way that we're trying to just kill the whole right click save thing forever. Like it's such a shallow and silly argument. And yet there is still a little bit of truth to saying what is ownership mm. in the NFT economy if everything is public to everybody? What is the sense of control that you get as a collector? And what's the sense of control that you get as an artist after you put your art out there in an NFT? if it's going to be public to everybody who even just glances at the blockchain, right? Not just like who interacts with a platform, but just it's on-chain forever <laughs> for everybody. So that's what we're trying to solve with it. So what's next is just going crazy with the use cases. I mean, we see this as a huge revolution in the utility of NFTs. So a lot of the use cases just evolve around what can creators do with it? What can IP owners do with this? What can individual users, PFP communities, like people can do crazy stuff with private metadata how do we help them? How do we help them become sustainable in whatever they're trying to build? There's always that huge link between privacy and sustainability. And for NFTs, sustainability is going to be everything for mm -hmm. artists. They, they, if this is going to be a new asset class for them, a new way of living, a new way of connecting with an audience, they should be able to do it for longer than six weeks. Mm -hmm. So we really want to make sure they can do it for the next six decades. Yeah, that's a very useful space to tackle there. And the last time you and I saw each other, I think, was NFT NYC. We were yeah. all super excited. Quentin Tarantino is going to be doing this really cool NFT project. Oh, yeah. it, it brought all this energy into the space of kind of feeling that it's going more mainstream. Yep. And at the same time, like I had another conversation with someone that week of like, they're making NFT the movie and thinking that it might go to Sundance. And But at the beginning of the year, I would have been like, they're making everything. Well, I, I'm sure it's going to be cool, but I don't know if it's going to get into Sundance. Is Sundance going to care? You know, so it's really interesting to see how quickly, as we said, this thing yeah. is moving and momentum is getting into the mainstream. And so anyways, all that, that was very exciting. And then, you know, we've seen this news come out about the sort of legal conflicts around us. Can you speak a little bit about, well, we understand what's going on and, and, and what, well, I can give the background to yeah, people yeah. who aren't familiar. So one of the amazing use cases for creators, like I said, with the private metadata is to put a secret in the private metadata that you only want the owner to be able to see. Mm -hmm. So the idea was that Quentin Tarantino had was to put original handwritten scripts never before seen, put them in the private metadata of the NFT, add his own audio commentary, sharing never before known secrets about like the production of those scripts, the process of writing, like just these amazing collector's items effectively that would never otherwise be shared if it weren't for having a secret NFT standard right. that would allow it to exit his house and enter the public consciousness, but not for everyone, for the people who actually purchase this NFT and form that direct connection 
with Quentin. Mm -hmm. It's not the sort of thing where if you highly, highly value that content as a creator, you highly value your own content, especially if it's that personal to you. Mm -hmm. You want to share it with an audience, but only the audience that you select or that self-selects by telling you that they value it just as much as you. Mm -hmm. That was the whole vision behind it. And of course, we had all these events in NYC with people coming and like saying how incredible this was going to be for the space, how, how defining it was going to be for creators. And then as you were saying, sort of what happened was that it turned into a potential legal battle. Who actually owns the rights to make an NFT of a script that was written decades before a concept of an NFT even existed? What does it mean as a creator? Like, do you actually own the right to your own words? Mm-hmm. And I think now it's turned into this very sort of like landmark case that should be on everybody's consciousness if they're touching the NFT space because it could have dramatic implications for really anybody who decides to build or any creator thinking of stepping into the space because it meant two things. One, it meant that creators were going to have to fight for their right to exist in a space that was actually a creator economy, that was actually going to empower them and actually let them take power in their own creations. And it also meant that very obviously, legacy institutions saw tremendous value Mm. in NFTs. You don't start legal suits for things where you're like, this is frivolous, this is time wasting, this isn't valuable. You go after things that you think are materially going to make a shift in how your business model actually works, or at least, you know, that's the claim that you're going to make. Mm -hmm. And I think what people are starting to realize is that this is threatening, not just from like this case in particular, this perspective, but the whole metaverse is threatening. It threatens traditional businesses, business models, et cetera, because it's threatening middlemen, it's threatening the intermediaries. And the whole point was to let artists and creators and then subsequently the collectors and the users like capture more of that value. How can that be done? And blockchain technology, especially like with privacy added, that's supposed to be an answer. What now we're starting to worry about is how hard are they going to fight? And the question we have to answer as creators and builders is how hard are we going to fight mm. back to try to make sure that these rights are protected that we iterate. And I think the more creators who take this kind of power in their own creations and fight and build, especially on a platform like Secret, where we can protect your work. I remember the Coindesk coverage of the lawsuit and they said, Miramax is suing Quentin Tarantino over the secret contents of an NFT, which Miramax has never seen. (laughs) And I thought that was like a really apt summary. It's like, but that's kind of the claim that's being made. So without saying the merits of anything, right, I'm not really able to comment either way, obviously, but we should all be paying attention to how this is going to proceed. And as far as I'm aware, Quentin Tarantino has no intention of slowing down. Mm. Yeah. And I I had a question I might as well ask you. I don't even maybe only be involved in this content, but I feel like in the talk that he gave um, at NFT NYC, he may have actually indicated that there might have been a contract section going to run out on several pieces of content where maybe this won't be an issue. I don't know. Does that seem like that's going to be the case or there's still going to be these kind of fights to maybe have? The bigger question is what's going to happen in future contracts. Because right now, creators, you know, they have a somewhat of a sense of what IP rights they have and what they don't. And a lot of those historically have not involved NFTs at all because they didn't exist. Why would you ever make an explicit provision in any kind of contract about an NFT if it's not even a concept? Right. Once it's word of the year, Every single artist contract is going to involve NFTs in some sets and who's going to fight for those rights and who's going to have the leverage in those relationships Mm -hmm. if 
whoever's trying to make a contract with the artist or their management somehow slips in a clause that says, oh, by the way, all future derivatives of this work that are as available as non-fungible tokens on any platform, Mm -hmm. we will own all IP rights to anything that you do, even if it's photographs of your own work in your own hand. Like, Right, they're gonna add these specifications. What happens next is what concerns me, because like now it's on everybody's radar. All the lawyers on every side are gonna kind of know. So that's why I say it's sort of like a landmark battle, not because of what this means for all the contracts we signed 20 years ago. What's it gonna mean for all the contracts that artists are signing right now? And Mm -hmm. are we going to be so uninformed as artists that we're going to sign away those rights unknowingly? Because you better believe now that the legacy institutions, all of these companies, are very well informed about what NFTs could mean for their business and what it could mean for artists. And if people aren't prepared to fight, Mm -hmm. then they're going to give something away that they didn't even know they were were losing. Right, right. And the legalese, I think, you know, before, right, has been, you know, we have the rights to this in all media, in perpetuity, in all universes and, you know, and they just try their best to specify what this is going to be, you know. So now we're getting into the specifics. This is very fascinating. And I think that's a great point that we need to fight as creators for what we believe is right and really what can support the creation that happens, right? What we don't want to do is develop a system where creativity is stifled because you're moving into the creator economy, like we said. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, it really doesn't matter who's issuing a secret NFT. It's a better way of protecting the rights. And if there is an organization, for example, like a car company or a sports team, and they have all the rights to their own likenesses and everything else, like a secret NFT is still a better solution for them too. Like we're not a way for anybody to make an end run around an IP agreement. Like we believe that creators should have their own rights, but we're also trying to say that like, we're not here to arbitrate how people are going to choose to sign their own contracts. Like if people want to create a business relationship in that regard and they get some other value in giving away that right, Whoever has that right is still going to benefit more from issuing it as a secret NFT, having that content protected and sharing it directly with an audience. I just personally believe that audiences are going to much rather own an NFT that came directly from an individual creator than from some faceless organization that's shoving derivatives of existing work down their throat, being told that this is going to be valuable because there'll be a market for it or because it represents something that they might remember from childhood. It's very different when your favorite creator in any field is telling you, I value this so highly that I'm only going to share it with you. And this is going to be our secret together. Mm, Very cool. All right. Well, I think that's a great note to end. And I have many more questions and things to talk about. We only have so much time. It's been really a blast chatting with you. Let's make sure we give like socials or websites. Where can people go to find out more? Yeah, you should go to at Secret Network on Twitter. And if you want to follow the Tarantino project, it's at Tarantino NFTs. You can also just generally stay informed about where the ecosystem is heading with secret NFTs. If you join our Discord, there's links out to some of the other NFT specific discords. There's literally a PFP project, I think, launching every couple of days now on secret because the word has kind of gotten out about like how cool this can be just even for Web3 creators. So if you want to catch a future drop, definitely get in the Discord so you don't miss out on that. But I think things are going to, as we said at the very beginning, right, they're only going to get faster. And if you believe that privacy is essential to the future of NFTs, the the best place you can be when things are going fast is right at the beginning. And that's definitely where we are now. Beautiful. Well, I think that's a wrap. Thanks so much for sitting here for this excellent conversation. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right, cool. (laughs) Thanks, man. Yeah, that was fun. We've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. Thanks for exploring with us. 
We've got space for more adventurers on this starship, so invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to iTunes right now, rate us, and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. And don't forget, as a member of the Edge of NFT ecosystem, you're part of a community defined by collaboration and co-creation. Right now, we're giving you a literal opportunity to plant seeds with us and grow deep roots and broad branches together through NFTs. We're breaking ground on our own special NFT collections. Please head over to spiritseeds.xyz to find out more about our collection of only 100 Spirit Seed NFTs that will ever be minted. That's been created in collaboration with NFT influencer Nicole Buffett. And stay tuned to our Discord, found at edgeofnft.com discord, to get the inside scoop on our upcoming Living Tree NFT drop. Between these projects, we aim to plant tens of thousands of trees with you and offset thousands of metric tons of carbon emissions. At the same time, you'll get special access to our giveaways and events, as well as even more opportunities to co-create and collaborate with us. Check out edgeofnft.com discord to join our discord and plant your roots within our community now. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. We understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.